Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. And today um, I'm really excited to be joined by actually one of our speakers from our recent Houston event, Janice Tran, who is CEO and co-founder of Canon Energy. And Canon will be hearing more about during the flow of this podcast, but their kind of core technology converts waste heat to power. And I, I know Janice will be talking to us about other thoughts, other plans as well. Um, and I, in a moment, I'll ask you to introduce yourself. But the one visual I want to leave the audiences with, that the last time I saw Janice, she was basically being mobbed by attendees, having <laughs> given a bit of her story on stage at Decarb Connect in North America. And it was just a really pleasing sight to see how much excitement your, your participation brought with it. So anyway, on, on that note, I'm going to hand to you and ask you just to do, you know, do your thing. Give me, give me a bit of an intro to how you've arrived at this point in time and and then we'll we'll have a chat about the technology and, and the processes that you're going through with clients. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, it was it was a fantastic conference. Thank you so much for putting it on and to your team as well. But yeah, you know, thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here and to talk about industrial decarbonization and what we're doing with, with waste heat to power. Um, so like you said, my, my name is Janice here and I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders for, for Canon Energy. We're based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and also in Houston, Texas, uh, which is actually where I'm currently sitting today and, and calling in from. Let, let's, let's go first to that personal driver. Like, so personally, and then we'll come on to what you've been doing professionally that's brought you to this point. Personally, what, what is it that's kind of brought you into decarbonization, climate tech, and, and this kind of general field? Yeah, my, my personal journey started uh, when I was really 20 years old, and I made a promise to myself uh, one day, and it was that when I was, or when I'm lying on my deathbed, looking back on my life, I want to make sure that I can say to myself, look at myself in the mirror and say, I did everything that I possibly could to um, help tackle climate change. Um, and it was, it was a big promise very, very early on in my life. And that promise has shaped a lot of career decisions ever since. And so, so really my, my entire kind of purpose in my career, in my life has been about tackling climate change. Um, and so, you know, my, the latest version of that is, is in the creation of Canon. This is my, my platform to inspire and, and create change through finance, through business model innovation, through um, accelerating kind of technology adoption. Um, but prior to this, you know, I was also an investor. I was a director at a, a fund called Generate Capital. And uh, I had the pleasure of working with some really amazing, um, you know, leading edge investors on uh, waste related investments. And then prior to that, you know, I worked at uh, NRG and I also co-founded my own nonprofit called Student Energy with a, a couple co-founders. And now it's a, a global nonprofit. But yeah, my, my journey has brought me through, you know, a, a very unconventional path, but as, as uh, maybe unconventional as it may be, it's all been guided by one thing. So it's, it's actually quite simple. We'll talk a little more about uh, how some of that background plays into your experience and your, your kind of lens on decarbonization. But I, I remember you saying that you'd uh, been at Generate Capital and I just thought what a fascinating background to have to then go and launch, you know, a, a tech business from. So, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of experiences from that that have really played a part in your success. Um, but 
basically today we agreed we were going to we kind of were talking um, as I often do with guests about okay what's the kind of core theme that we can then obviously bring to light Canon's work around but you mentioned to me that that one of the the kind of questions that clients or prospects often bring to you is you know how can we decarbonize when we're resource or capacity constrained and that this was an area that you felt Canon could really play into but do you want to talk a little bit more about that particular challenge and then and then we'll go into Canon itself and, and talk a little more yeah so so great question um so when you look at uh, the source of emissions in different places across the world so whether that's the United States Canada uh, many parts of Europe about a quarter of emissions actually come from industrial processes and industrial processes are hard to decarbonize because it's, it's quite, the solutions are quite fragmented. With um, buildings or with transportation, you know, the, the answer is often try to electrify. But in industrial processes, electrification is a solution, but there's also um, many other solutions as well. It's, it's hydrogen, it's carbon capture, it's uh, redoing the entire process, like for example, with um, uh, steel or, or cement. So that in itself is, is an issue. And when you look at industrial processes, you know, over half of the energy that goes into a facility is typically wasted. That doesn't end up as useful work. And a lot of that wasted energy is actually in the form of heat. And when we looked, and, and when me and my co-founders looked at that kind of problem of, okay, what do we want to devote the next, you know, year the prime our prime working years of our life to in the context of climate and what are we uniquely able to solve um it narrowed down into this this kind of piece of industrial decarbonization and then also we really liked the intersection of electricity and onto other types of technologies as well um, so there's just a lot of opportunity to make processes more efficient to look at from a more first principles basis, how do we do things cleaner and cheaper um, as well on these on these facilities? But I think that that point about that waste of the original uh, energy that goes into any kind of heavily processed uh, manufacturing environment that that's that really interests me because a lot of the time we focus, um, particularly within our network on the podcast, we focus on the process that is carbon intensive or the pro it's the process to make the product. But here, what we're saying is before you even get there, basically you're buying a ton of energy that gets converted into all sorts of dynamics. And then, you know, half of that or more might be wasted anyway and not actually fully realized. So talk to me a bit about the technology that you have and, and how are you addressing this? Yeah, that's exactly it. Is that there's what if we could do something more useful with that with that wasted energy? And um, when we look at waste heat in particular, there's this technology called Rankine cycle. So steam Rankine cycle is something that's that's quite common. Actually, it's a, a, the backbone of the steam engine. Really, what we use is the organic Rankine cycle uh, technology. So it's like steam Rankine cycle, but we're using another type of fluid that's not water. Um, that has a lower flash point so that we can capture lower temperatures and, and make it more efficient. Um, but what it does is it's it's a, an engine or, or turbine, sorry, that uh, takes in heat and then converts that into electricity. Um, really, it's, it's not a very, very high tech. It's just not widely deployed, which is why we're interested in, in trying to catalyze that technology. Um, but it produces 
24-7 carbon-free power. It's the same technology that has been used in geothermal um, and is quite widely kind of used throughout the throughout Europe, actually, but just not as, as widely deployed in the United States. And so when a when an average company comes to you, what, what is it that they're often looking for? How does Canon come in and what does that project look like? Yeah, the, the problem, the real problem that we're solving is not that there's necessarily you know waste heat that needs to be utilized. The problem that we're solving is these industrial, these these facilities, they are under tremendous amount of pressure from stakeholders, from shareholders, um, to, to to find ways to decarbonize quickly and then also cheaply, you know, it, in a least expensive way. So the problem we're trying to, to help with is supporting these facilities in meeting those goals and targets. So while we're using a technology that you know, has been around for a little while, um, but in recent years has had some innovations, which is making it kind of more cost effective. But our real innovation is with this developer model. Um, being able to develop projects for identify these opportunities, um, find the right technologies, and then provide capital as well, and the execution and operations expertise. So the way that I like to put it is we, you know, in, in the context of waste to power, we remove all the friction that's there to implementing it. Um, when we look historically, why has organic Rankin cycle uh, or ORC not been widely used? It's because people think it's it's too expensive. And so our solution was, well, what if we brought in capital that was uh, more aligned to to infrastructure, to clean infrastructure, rather than using the balance sheet of that company, which is typically expensive capital if it's not for a core business, what if we didn't use that capital? And so regardless if it was, you know, quote unquote, too expensive or not for the company, it didn't matter because we had capital as those more mission aligned and also, um, you know, just generally less expensive. Um, so customers, when they, they come to us, they're coming to us with typically a problem or sometimes, you know, they, they don't even know how urgent that problem is. They know that they've got pressures from stakeholders and they're kind of just starting from from square one and saying, well, what can I do? And they're looking at all these kind of really fancy solutions like hydrogen, like carbon capture. And when we come to them and say, hey, well, there's this heat that's being wasted right under your nose with technology that has you know, very little technology risk, we'll pay for it. Um, you know, how does that sound? And they're typically pretty excited and, and wanna learn more. And I think from there, there's a really nice platform for other, other types of technologies as well. So I see it kind of as, as this gateway is, okay, let's, you know, start with baby steps. Let's start with energy efficiency. And then from there, let's see, okay, is there something around, you know, maybe there is carbon capture. We're already on your flu stack. Maybe from there, we can start looking at different carbon capture technologies. Uh, what about thermal storage? What about, you know, other heat integration? So there's lots of, you know, once you're in the facility and once you've built the trust, uh, from the facility managers and from the companies, then you can start, I think, getting a little bit more creative and becoming a true decarbonization partner. And that's really the ultimate goal is to, to look at ways heat to power, but then also move beyond that to other technologies as well. Mm. So it's kind of entering the field, entering their kind of their world in a kind of right now technology, a right now solution, which also we know from our industrials, uh, uh, there is a lot of interest in those other kind of big tech solutions which are some way off bluntly most of those kind of hydrogen 
large-scale carbon capture and other, pro you know, th those are things that are maybe 8, 10, 15 years off, whereas what you're saying is you, you come in, you have a right-now solution, and on top of that, other things can be built. So I can see why it appeals and therefore why you were being mobbed in Houston. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, like, there's there's two parts of it. So everyone's got to start somewhere, and I think having uh, sympathy for the the sustainability folks or, or those folks on from the companies that are tasked with these very aggressive solution or targets and have to come up with these solutions that they weren't necessarily trained to look at and and you know in, especially in the case of waste heat to power navigating carbon markets navigating electricity markets and those processes it's, it's just a lot of work it's hard knowledge to come by um and uh if you were to do it by yourself it's you know kind of nearly impossible right so i think um being sympathetic, like let's let's start with with something that works, and then for them to build the expertise and the credibility within their organization to go do more expensive, more risky tech technology risk risky things. And then on our side for Canon, we also just have to build that credibility and respect as well. Like we're coming into these facilities that have been operating a certain way for oftentimes decades. And for us to kind of come in and say, well, we want to change your process or, you know, I think, I think we can't start there. I think we have to start with, well, let's understand what you're currently doing. Let's make it cleaner. And then from there, we've earned the trust to go do something a little bit more kind of um, outside the box. So, Can you just paint a picture, you know, if I'm, if I own a cement plant and I come to you, like, literally, what is it that happens? What, what is it that you're connecting? How do you bring that? tech into my facility and then uh, I'm going to ask you two more follow-up questions which our industrials will always ask which is what's the space requirement and how does it interact or affect kind of my existing operation so just just paint that picture for us yeah so we would um, run these um, pipes that have uh, a, a, a cooling um, liquid and though that um, liquid would then take the heat from whatever uh, process we're, we're gathering from. So that could be an exhaust stream or even like a liquid stream. And from there, we would transport that heat into a heat exchanger. And that heat exchanger would then uh, run through to the organic Rankine cycle. And that um, ORC then produces electricity. And so we can collect um, with this pipe, we can collect um, heat from multiple different sources. So we don't have to just be on one exhaust stack, we can collect from multiple exhaust stack and then kind of pipe it to a central collection point and heat exchanger and then do our work from there. And the outcome is you know, clean power. And that clean power can either be exported to the grid or it can be sold uh, back to the facility to displace their consumption of um, electricity that can have, you know, oftentimes a very high concentration of coal or gas on the grid. And so you can decrease your scope two emissions that way. Um, you know, there's also the possibility that you can take the heat and put it uh, in other places as well. But we actually really like the power power piece because there's um, it's a pretty uniform commodity, doesn't require as much reintegration. Um, and then, you know, once once you have that electricity, you know, you obviously can do a lot of things with it. Like you can create even hydrogen or, or obviously run your, your facility, um, but you can also use electricity to run carbon capture. And so that's the next thing that we're also looking at is 
um, since we're on the exhaust stacks of many of these facilities, which is where the carbon intensive, like the carbon uh, is coming out from, it's also a great place to be scrubbing for carbon as well. And since you know we're literally on the exhaust stack um, and we're creating clean power and we're touching a heat source, it's just it's, it's a perfect complement to uh, point source carbon capture. In terms of the footprint, I mean, um, it, it varies because you can can actually build this quite vertically. But we, we do get this question of um, you know how does that how does it intrude in our process? And the way that I like to put it is, it's it's like think think about putting something at the end of your tailpipe. Like it's it's literally at the very end of your process. We're not integrating right into the middle. And so you know we would hate for us instance where if we were to go down, we would shut down an entire you know, cement facility or refinery, like that would be, that would be terrible. And we probably won't be a company for very long. Um, so we really look for heat sources right at the, the end, the exhaust streams at the very, very end. And so regardless of where, you know, how we operate and if we shut down, there's literally no impact to the, the facility itself. We have a louver that just you know, kind of shuts, shuts off. And then the exhaust streams would just go uh, to where they were, previously being emitted and there, there's kind of status quo path. Um, whereas we, you know, when we put this up, we divert all the exhaust streams into our own stack and, and that's how we collect the heat. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was remembering actually that when when you were mentioning that this could be a, a neat add-on to a carbon capture process, I think that's actually how we first got introduced as a, a member of our network, uh, who's a Canadian lime producer. And they, I think they had been looking for ways to offset the cost of a future carbon capture solution and that that was how they I guess you had come into their field of vision um so that that's interesting you know as an enabler of something that is a you know expensive complex undertaking it's sort of an, an interesting role to play there yeah and and when we've done our analysis of of carbon capture with waste heat to power we see that it, it it actually increases the returns of the the carbon capture facility so I think the the biggest challenge with companies right now is the market conditions just aren't um, you know, quite quite ripe for carbon capture. It's just a little bit too expensive at the moment. And that's why we tell our customers, we'll do waste heat to power now. And then when the market conditions are right, say that's the three years or five years, you've already, um, you've done something. So you've kind of, you, you've, uh, when talking to your stakeholders that are concerned about this, that you know, you're, you're doing something rather than just talking about this technology in the future, you're actually doing something with waste heat. And then when you bolt on, it actually improves the economics of your carbon capture facility because you're um, generating your own electricity plus you're um, taking the heat from this. So, sorry, let me, let me back up here. With waste heat, we typically are looking at very high temperature exhaust streams. And when you have point source carbon capture, that technology is typically a lower temperature exhaust stream. So we're able to cool, cool it down to a temperature that's perfect for that, that carbon capture system and do something useful with it rather than just kind of, kind of throw that temperature away. And so there's that um, kind of synergy that, uh, that the two technologies coupled together allow for. And that usually translates to better economics as well, once you actually install the carbon capture system. Um, yeah, and again, like, especially in, a, in an environment where, where uh, Canon provides the capital too, so there's, there's no real kind of risk to your balance sheet, we can do that for you. 
And I, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, I know when we spoke uh, again, sort of the first time about doing the podcast, you'd, you'd alluded to the fact that the work you do also helps people optimize carbon credits as part of this process. Can you just, just remind me and obviously tell the audience what, how does that piece of this work? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we often get confused with uh, EPCs or, or engineering firms, or we get confused for consultants. So we're a developer. And what a developer does is we look at the entire commercialization strategy as, along with the technical strategy for that project. And the commercialization strategy is heavily dependent on electricity sales and carbon market uh, and the carbon market and the sale of those environmental attributes. So um, oftentimes, this is actually where when a facility wants to do these waste heat to power projects alone, they get stuck because they you know, don't really understand to the intricate detail that our team does how to navigate those markets. And there's multiple markets that you can sell into, whether you want renewable energy credits, whether you want offsets, whether you want compliance credits or voluntary credits, which kind of which market in the voluntary space you sell to or in the compliance space, how do you do that? Um, so that's the role of the developers that so we go and we not only just figure out, but we optimize what that revenue strategy is. Um, and it's constantly changing. I mean, with this, there's um, a proposed uh, legislation that just came out like last week um, that could really change the market. Right. And um, and also in Europe, there's like multiple different markets that are happening as well. Different protocols that you can apply to. Um, so again, like our job here is to try to increase the revenues as much as possible and different than say, just a, a consulting firm or an engineering company who just focuses on, they have, you know, expertise in one thing. So whether that's, you know, consulting, it might be like just creating the business case for it, uh, or an engineering company might be trying to optimize for the best technical solution, um, where we come in is it's a lot more holistic and it's typically the entire picture of like, how do you optimize the revenue? And that actually will impact the design of your process as well. So it's this kind of complement of um, the different types of, you know, functions and, and considerations that make a good economically viable project actually come to fruition. And then in, in terms of the stage that you're at, you know, where, where is the business right now? And what, what is what is it that you're working towards as your, your kind of next step? Yeah, so our, our company is um, is growing quite quickly. We've we're a pandemic baby. We started right at the very beginning of the pandemic in, in 2020. And uh, it's been great to, you know, as more doors have opened, um, literally, like with the pandemic kind of restrictions kind of lessening, it's, it's been great to, to see this new uh, stage of our company now. Um, but yeah, we've been a pretty we're a pretty new company. We're about 13 people now. And uh, we recently opened up our office in, in Houston. And actually, the, the conference, Decarb Connect, back in March, was one of the deciding factors of, of, hey, we really need to be in this city and set up a more permanent location here. So you did, yeah, <laughs> I see you cheering. You, 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 did, you, did your, you did your job, guys. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, we're quickly expanding. We just um, made a, a press release a few weeks ago uh, announcing our partnership with um, a midstream company called Tallgrass Energy, where we're working on uh, four waste heat to power projects um, on their uh, natural gas pipeline in Ohio and Indiana. So that's uh, 48 megawatts of clean power being sold to the grid from, from you know, 
heat that's that's just wasted got a lot of a lot of other projects um to announce pretty soon as well on and steel and other natural gas pipelines and um other other processes uh which unfortunately can't share quite yet but maybe in the next time that you have me on i can i can talk at length with those um but yeah no i think we're we're just really excited not, not just because you know obviously growing a company is, is amazing but we're just excited by the feedback that we're getting from the industrial community of uh you know there's this it's it's maybe being at the right place at the right time but being kind of embraced and 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 welcomed our solution being welcomed has been a, a really nice feeling because we're, we're here to solve problems we're not just here to try to cram a, a a technology down people's throats that don't want it you know it's we're here to solve a problem and i think uh, with all the customers that we're working with, we we see that this um we they see us as a as a real solution provider, which is nice. Mm. Well, let me let me do a bit of a, a kind of a pivot then to talk about something a bit different, which I did. Anyone listening, I did pre warn Janice that we would talk about this. So, I was interested to I guess pick your brains, get your thoughts as a both a female founder but also a woman of color. What your perspective and experience has been in in both leading a startup gaining interest, gaining traction. You know, you hear horror stories, you hear these amazing stories. I just, what was your, what's been your kind of perspective and experience of it? Yeah, yeah, and Alice, I think you should you should chime into this as well, being also a female founder. So, so I think that I'd be naive to say that um, being a, a woman and a minority that, and and also, you know, I have the unfortunate or unfortunate uh, luck of looking also younger, and so that is there's a prejudice there as well. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'd be naive to say that when I go into business meetings, that it doesn't probably trigger some kind of conscious or unconscious bias um, with the person that I'm speaking with in my career, um, you know, in finance and in energy, especially, you know, working with industrials, which are often not minority females, <laughs> you know, sometimes that does come off in a different way. And I can see that, you know, sometimes visibly or uh, subtly in the people that I'm speaking with. I wouldn't say that it's like very, very common, but it's certainly happened. And I think when you're in those situations, you kind of have a, a choice and say, well, you know, I can feel like I'm a victim and, you know, go home and, you know, be sad about it and, you know, you know, have that trigger some kind of insecurity in myself or kind of just say, well, you know, they're, I might change their opinion. Maybe that it's a, it's a, it's a fact of like pattern matching. Maybe if we can show them that a female minority leader um, on the other end is, you know, very competent, can, can provide a solution to the problem that they're seeking maybe that kind of starts to chip away at that uh, conscious or unconscious bias. Maybe we can create a new pattern um, of, you know, association there. Also, it might not happen and they might just be like that forever. And in that case, well, you know, you, at least you tried. Um, but this, um, you know, you, you can't lay victim to this mentality of, you know, you're different and therefore, you know, you should um, either stop trying, like then, then they win, right? Like that's, <laughs> you, you can't have that happen. So regardless of whether or not, you know, there is a bias that is kind of creates a negative um, outcome, 
Um, there's nothing you can really do about it other than, you know, be your authentic, true self, do good work, be nice, be compassionate, um, and help them solve a problem. And at the end of the day, if they don't want to change their opinion or, you know, they continue being, um, you know, stuck in the past, then they're going to stay stuck in the past. And that's great. And oftentimes, you know, when we're in this, these situations, I see maybe a, a, a person on a team, or maybe it's the leader of that team um, has this mentality, this kind of prejudice or bias, but their team members don't. And I think, you know, we're, we're sitting at this cusp here where um, society is very much shifting to embracing diversity. Um, and people will retire, people will leave, and other people will take their place. And those people might not have the same mentality. Um, so it's just such a more complicated answer than just than the headlines would have you think exactly yeah I I suppose that the piece of it that no one can control is what happens before you even get the meeting right that that's probably the 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 piece that who who knows uh what the reality is there but my, my experience obviously different for all kinds of reasons one I definitely do not look younger than my age and two um I'm working more in a, a service sector business it's not you know a tech business so I think there's all kinds of reasons why it's different but I, you know, my, my observation from my own experience is once you get the meeting, actually the fact that you may be different from other founders or other people you've worked with is, is actually normally a pretty, has been a relatively you know, positive thing because it, you, the fact that you do come in with hard facts or the fact that you do come in with hard experience and relationships you can point to and so forth actually is a sort of, the package is more is a, is a memorable standout perhaps to to others that they may have encountered but but of course that's that's uh you know maybe a, a slightly glib answer because we none of us know what the impact of you know is going what the decision is before you get given a meeting or not but um have you had to i mean i i i'm sort of guessing you're not someone who would have changed how you present or how you present yourself to the world and and i also wonder whether having that background in investment and making investment decisions, maybe that gives a whole other layer of confidence to to, to this issue anyway. Uh, I, I don't know what you make of that. Yeah, certainly. I, I think it's um, because I have that investment background and I have some experience behind me in deploying you know, real dollars and, and catalyzing industries. I think, yeah, I think that certainly does help. Um, but, but to your point, like, you know, I, you you make a decision whether to I think kind of earlier on as as a as a as a leader as a female leader you make that decision of you know who do you want to be um, how do you choose to show up and you make that decision kind of every day but generally like do you do you choose to be kind of your authentic self and, and bring that to a meeting um, and at the end of the day for me it's just yeah be my authentic self and just do good work that's kind of as it's almost as simple as that. And to stray from that, I think then it gets complicated, <laughs> at least for me, right? Um, so, and part of being that authentic self is um, I'm a numbers person. I like to be, I'm, I'm quite logical. So I like to just come in with the facts and I'm you know, very prepared for these meetings as well. And so just kind of coming in and, and kind of being, you know, quite open, but also very much to the facts. I think that helps kind of, you know, helps with that credibility. And I think my background uh, with 
you know, the training of being an investor helps me craft these narratives that are quite compelling as well. So I think, you know, part of that is, is my training. Part of that is just kind of where I come from. But I think part of that is just like how, how I show up and how, and also not to downplay like how my team shows up. We, we spend a lot of time prepping. And one of the core values that we talk about in our team is, um, making the other partner feel like they are in the hands of professionals and treating them like we want, we were once in their shoes want to be treated as well like coming across very polished professional prepared that's all very very important who who else from that group of 13 was on the original co-founding group was it a pair of you or was it was it more of you that came together yeah so the the co there's uh, two other co-founders and myself so three co-founders in total um so jake bainbridge he's our chief technology officer and dan fit he's our chief development officer um, so have been there actually since the beginning and they, um, Jake and, and Dan, they actually came up with the idea to, to work on waste heat to power. They were previously working at a geothermal company and they recognized that when you drill in the ground, there's a lot of risk associated with, with drilling and to sell electricity, a, a commodity um, that's not priced like oil and gas, which has the kind of margins and the risk the risk margins incorporated into it, um, the kind of risk reward is not necessarily there. I think it, I think it's changing now for sure, but at least, you know, five years ago wasn't the case. And so they started on this path of looking at waste heat to power because you don't need to drill in the ground. You can actually prove those resources above ground. And um, one of, and Dan, who I've known for uh, almost 15 years, we went to kind of undergraduate uh, university together um he you know told me about this concept and so that's how how I kind of uh got, got brought in and <laughs> lured in and was able to use a lot of the experience that I built at, at Generate Capital in catalyzing the anaerobic digestion space and kind of putting all those skills in practice and practice and, and did this here on, on We Seek to Power. But yeah, the team is is fantastic. I there's no way that I could, you know, be here talking to you if it wasn't for my fantastic co-founding team and also the wider team as well, which is just, you know, my my pride and joy. They're just they're they're amazing, super smart, talented folks that that care about the environment and what we're doing here. And you mentioned earlier on that so you've just opened Houston. You know, I'm now going to tell people it's because of Decarb Connects Houston. <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, but so how how is that kind of uh, the Canadian and the US experience driving you forward? Is it is it a similar story each side of the border or are you finding different? I don't know. Are there different conversations, different dynamics at play? Yeah, definitely different dynamics. Um, I will always be a Canadian at heart, <laughs> even though I've, I've uh, lived many, many years in the United States and spent the bulk of my kind of my career in the United States. Um, I love Canada, and I think what what Canada is doing in terms of climate and and, and leading on climate policy is fantastic. I think though the reason why we did end up opening an office in Houston is because the business community is is a little bit different and. Um, while we're in Calgary, which is the energy capital of Canada, uh, we're finding that it's just not quite as kind of, um, you know, quick to adapt as we're seeing in Houston. And I think that has to do from a cultural perspective, also from just a simple like people and size are just much smaller than uh, Alberta, smaller than Texas. Um, and while it is very kind of 
you know, entrepreneurial. Calgary is very entrepreneurial. It's just not quite as entrepreneurial as the fourth largest city in the United States, which is Houston. Um, and as a startup, you know, you got to just kind of go where there is there is business. And so we're trying to, as much as we can, you know, um, build our presence and uh, build customers in Canada. But the reality is a lot of our customers are actually in the United States now. And so that, that's why it made sense to be in Houston. Yeah, I, I have to admit that the, the little I've kind of come to understand about how Houston is adapting to the energy transition, because I know there's loads more stories than I'm aware of. What, what is really fascinating to me is there's a real kind of city-wide, region-wide commitment to bringing in and nurturing early stage tech so that there's, you know, I don't think anyone says they're ditching the old school industries either, but but there is that investment and there is that commitment there, which I, I think when you come from an outsider in is kind of surprising because you, you have this image in your head of, oh, Houston's going to be like that and the Houstonians are going to think like this. And the truth is, there is a huge dynamism around the energy transition and particularly where it comes to early stage companies, I think. Absolutely. Like, and, and I think like, a, uh, there's a lot of credit here due to, uh, to, to Greentown labs. And so that's where we're actually based out of right now. Um, the, if you haven't, you know, for all your listeners, if you're in and around Houston, or you come through Houston, you know, please go to, to Greentown labs, introduce yourself to, to the folks there. Um, they've just built this amazing kind of energy transition center with the houses uh, startups, but also is the kind of center for a lot of the events that happen and a lot of research and thinking that happens around energy transition in, in, in Houston. Um, and then, you know, I, I've, I've lived in New York. I've, I've worked in, in San Francisco and that's where I w- was living in for five years. And while there's just so much innovation that happens in, in San Francisco and a lot of kind of innovation that happens in New York, it's, it's different living in a, a city where all like the bread and butter is, is energy, right? Like it's not just a fringe, um, a French ecosystem that's like the bread and butter. And so I think that the seriousness of energy transition, the seriousness, and I'm also the opportunity, financial opportunity that uh, an energy transition provides. Um, it's just different. Like living in, in Houston has been like living in San Francisco, but everything is just, you know, is, is tailored towards energy and the stuff that you care about which is really really cool and I yeah I'm, I'm really enjoying my time here and it probably helps that you have 25 percent of the U.S.'s petrochemical complex on your doorstep <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I mean like yeah belly of the beast right it's, I I think that while uh, a lot of the folks in, in San Francisco are, are creating ideas and, and living in this kind of ideal idealistic I want to say bubble we gotta we gotta move those innovations over to Texas to Houston and then put that in the field. And so I, I'm seeing that bridge being built actually quite uh, quite quickly. Um, we need it to happen faster. <laughs> um, a, a part of that is the responsibility of those tech companies and investors in Silicon Valley. But part of that is also the responsibility of the, the companies that you know those petrochemical companies seeking out those um innovations from the valley as well well janice thank you thank you yeah really a real pleasure to have you um on the podcast and that that announcement about tall grass energy we'll we'll make sure we put a link to that just as an example of some of the things you're working on in the show notes for the podcast so that people can take a little look 
um and hopefully we'll we'll get you back on you know a year's time or whenever is appropriate to talk about some of these at scale projects that you're developing so thank you again great to see you yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me and um thank you to the team at decarb connect for doing what you're doing in in the industrial decarbonization sector thank you many thanks for listening to the decarb connect podcast we work with clients across the industrial sectors specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day if you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex at ac at decarbconnect.com. Thanks for listening.